Complete Cardboard, episode 153, The Roundup. Coming to you from Half Moon Beach in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Gloucester. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy, board games, war games, 18xx, and we're going to be talking Kickstarters today. So here in the board gaming hobby, we're your hosts. I'm Edward. I'm Jess. All right. What we've been playing. (laughs) Board games. Happy spring. It is spring. We get to go to the beach. That was cool. And unexpected. Like it wasn't like a big... I forget that we're so close to the beach. Do you? I really do. Like, it feels like it's a world away and it's 30 minutes. Is this why we don't go very often? Probably, because I forget that we're right by the beach. Okay, I'm going to have to remind you. It's right next door. This is not hard. And it, the weather has been ridiculously nice. It's mm-hmm. been, yesterday was about 90 degrees. Today it's in mid-60s, but there are days that have been straight up hot lately. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah. We have a beach. Yes. We have multiple beaches. Many beaches. We went to one of my favorites the other day, Half Moon. It's amazing. Had a really good time. Mm-hmm. The water wasn't that cold. Yes, it was. <laughs> For you, I went swimming. All you. <laughs> so, what have we been playing? Um. Well, let's see. We just played some Shores of Tripoli. Yep. That was fun. Was uh, it? Yes. Was it? The re- <laughs> Why wasn't it? Why wouldn't it have been fun? Well, I thought it was fun, but I, I don't think you're too super keen on it. I am and I'm not. So I get exactly what it is. We talked about this, a beer and pretzels type game, right? We're two player going back and forth using our hand management cards. Uh, that is great. But I wanted it to be more because I really had fun with the mechanisms and I wanted to do more with them. And it's limited. You don't have a lot of time. It's going to be a 35, 45 minute game. So I ran out of time at the end. I mean, my fault. Plan better. The theme is awesome. I mean, as a Marine, I love the idea that it's, you know, the first Barbary War, you know, the shores of Tripoli. That's 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 in the Marine Corps hymn. So I, there's a lot of history there that I love. The production is great. And I think for what it is, as long as you go into it expecting a beer and pretzels game, then it's it's a dice chucker. Get a whole handful of dice, roll dice and hopefully do well. But it's also a all about managing uh Making lemonade out of, out of lemons. Uh, oh, I really, it's a small deck of cards for each of our decks. So did I draw the cards that I really wanted to be able to play in the order and manipulating those? Do I discard them for the, so you have limited options. You only have three options on a given turn and I'm fine with that. And I'm, I'm fine with the large amount of luck that there is in the randomness with the dice roll, but you're right that it's. There is that lot of randomness. Well, yeah, not just the dice, which I was rolling. Great. They liked me, but also with the card draw. So you can get really powerful cards right off the bat. And I think I threw you off kilter uh, on occasion with something that I got. And just the timing was perfect and knocked some of your event cards out of the water. And that's war, right? That is the theme of this game. You're not going to go into this knowing what the other side has in their arsenal or what they're going to be able to accomplish. So thematically, it completely works. And so, no, this isn't really a 
digging on the game to say, hey, I just wish it were more. That's what the game is. They know their audience. They picked what they wanted to do. They've marketed as such. So there's nothing wrong with that. I just enjoyed it so much. I wanted to do more with it, maybe take some more time with it. But then would, you know, counter that, would I be complaining if it took an hour and a half, two hours, um, spoilers, no, I wouldn't, but some may complain (laughs) that now it's too long for what it is because you are chucking dice and you are getting certain cards and not others. Um, I just enjoyed it. So I wanted more. And that's fair. I enjoyed it. I love the theme first and foremost and everything else with it. So I enjoy it as long as you are aware that it's, it's going to be a dice chucker and, Mm -hmm. and beer and pretzels. Yeah, it was a good time. So we played it a few times now. Yeah. And uh, I'm 0 for 3. Yay. (laughs) All right. So uh, I've played a bunch of solo stuff along with these games with you and and, uh, a little bit with other folks remotely, which that's about to change, which I'm looking forward to. So I'll I'll throw one out there. Space Infantry uh, Federation. Kind of a States of Siege type game. If you're a war gamer, you're going to probably know what that is. If you're not, it's kind of a tower defense type thing to where you have uh, enemies coming in from all sides Mm -hmm. and they don't really start coming at you. You get a little time to build up and then all of a sudden everything just goes to hell in a handbasket. And it's about your managing of those things. It has a couple of very cool mechanisms for the activations uh, against the AI. The AI has a very, very low overhead as far as how to run the AI. Nice. And as long as you enjoy that tower defense, which honestly, I'm not really super keen on. It doesn't really, I don't like the video game tower defense type games. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, I really have not enjoyed playing the board game war game versions of those however space infantry federation i enjoyed more than i thought i was going to nice and yeah definitely worth checking out if you were so inclined it the production quality is surprisingly good for it being a a ziploc bag game right you know it it doesn't come in a box comes in a ziploc bag and the the counters on it are super thick the boards are just cardstock they're the rule book kind of terrible okay i'm being nice now the rule book's not good however the designer uh nathan was in chat when i streamed this and i talked about how bad this game desperately needed a player aid that so you're not referencing the rule book which referenced this section which then, okay, if this, reference that section, mm. and then if this, reference that section. I don't want to have to do that while I'm playing a board game. It completely takes you out of the immersiveness of a solo board game. Mm-hmm. But if that gets addressed, and he said it was going to get addressed, I think it was the best States of Siege type game that I've played. So definitely uh, definitely enjoyed it, and and definitely looking forward to playing it again, Space Infantry federation nice so another one like shores of tripoli that we played was the vote and i say like just in that two player two sides going at each other very asymmetric yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely i i see the analogy there or the comparison totally right. the similarities yeah. so that was enjoyable and hard it's hard to play that game it's hard to play well 
but it's also the theme, right? Because you have one side that is playing supremacy, which is anti-women's suffrage. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to do well? Like, if you're playing that side, does that feel good? <sighs> Probably not. And then there is equality, which is on the right side of history, right? right. Mm-hmm. And then there is the the third kind of pseudo player that really isn't a player. It's not really an AI either. It's just apathy, which is, eh, which is the majority of people. So it's kind of this silent non-player character that doesn't really do anything. It just shows the majority has apathy towards this, which is historically accurate. Right, because it's all about the vote and it's voting for the vote. So you're trying to get people to vote on your side for equality versus um, supremacy. So And passing the 19th Amendment and mm-hmm. all of that that went into that. And I thought that Amabelle uh, over at Hollenspiel put it pretty well when she did kind of this uh, the premise and the theme and everything, like a, a little uh, prologue to the game and the rule book, talking about the game is not about having fun. It's not about anything other than it's intended to piss you off. Yeah, well, I can see that. It's frustrating. It's hard to get things to happen. Apathy is always causing a problem. And you're like, I just need to change this and I need people to get on my side. And so thematically, again, it really does come through. And no, I can't say I was just like happy playing it. I kind of want to try playing the other side, switch it up and do the other side. But no, this isn't something you go into, I think, feeling like, yay, this is so fun. I want to play this. I'm I'm really excited about it. I've heard um, several people say that they play it more like a co-op, kind of almost helping equality win because they don't, but addressing the issues, but they don't want to fight against it. They would rather play the game, learn the history, do the functions of it, the mechanisms of it that they enjoy, but do it together, talk it out and have a conversation. I think that's really interesting in a game to create that conversation and play it as that. And I think it's important for games that tough that 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 tackle tough or or difficult themes or settings to be able to uh, not force, but encourage that type of discussion that goes on in a game. Right. And with this being so asymmetric, uh, that the, the decks are asymmetric. The, the players goals are asymmetric. It's an interesting. And I think compelling and enjoyable game from a mechanism standpoint. And the fact that it tackles a theme that obviously not a whole lot of games about women's suffrage out there. I that appeals to me mm-hmm. and I'm okay with being uncomfortable while playing a game because that's kind of what I want from a board game. So, or, or it, 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 from that experience, the, some of the time, obviously yes. not all the time. I don't think your whole collection is going to end up being games of that sort. Not no. so much. Yeah. But having this in there. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to playing it again. And I, I won't say that I'm looking forward to playing the supremacy side because, again, on the wrong side of it, like that just feels gross. Mm-hmm. But I think it's I'm looking forward to it to experience right. those feelings. And again, See the game that, from that side, from that perspective mm-hmm. into and to really go into it, not not being gross about it not being you know yeah woohoo i shot that down not like that 
but actually going into and kind of immersing myself in, okay, look, I want to stamp this out, not taking, not relishing it, but kind of really investigating that and, and kind of how that makes me well, feel. Well, understanding that, and it does show this from a governmental standpoint, right? Because it's showing the different regions and where it's going to be easier for you to get a foothold and who's going to support you more in certain areas and based on history for that and what was happening in that time frame. As well as the populace, just like, yeah. hey, guess what? Not, not real easy to do this in the Deep South. Again, Historically that, accurate. Historically right? accurate. So yeah, so experiencing that and realizing that, that's that's a thing, making those realizations in this game. I think that's the point of it more than than a beer and pretzel sure as of Tripoli. Right. Uh, uh so very, very, very similar asymmetric mechanisms. Right. Very, very different theme as well as depth of gameplay. Okay, but is it though? Because we're talking about a war. And then we're talking about women's suffrage. So, but yet, Shores of Tripoli, we're able it to had, cover Okay, this. so oh, that that's actually kind of interesting. And that's probably a, a, a topic for an entire show right probably. there in and of itself. But at no point am I, I don't feel as invested when playing Shores of Tripoli, which I should as a Marine. This is the hist- history of my brethren, mm-hmm. my brothers in arms, you know. But I don't feel, and this isn't a slight on Shores of Tripoli. No. It's because of the the scope of the game is is so drastically different that it's supposed to be a quote-unquote beer and pretzels lighter thinky filler that it is, whereas the vote is supposed to be a more in-depth, hard-hitting thing that is supposed to really emotionally impact you right and they definitely do that each in their own way well but i'm still having naval battles and shores of tripoli i'm still having but it's more abstracted like you don't think about the people that you're killing in these naval battles and you Mm -hmm. don't think about oh hey naval bombard bombardment and i'm killing the infantry that are that are there on the shore no i'm just removing cubes whereas in the vote oh no I'm stamping down. I think part of that is the the artwork that is brought in with the vote. And it's not a negative on the shores of Tripoli. I think it's a positive on the way the the the, the vote handles that theme. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different way of going about those different parts of history. But both well done. Both of them do what it is they set out to do, even though they are drastically different mm-hmm. in their in their scope and, and aim so well done to uh fort circle games with shores of tripoli and well done hollenspiel for the vote suffrage and suppression in america all right so now let's take it to a lighter uh, theme, and that is the court of Louis the Fifteenth. I think I keep thinking it's Louis the Fourteenth, but I think it's King Louis the Fifteenth. Anyway, Rococo uh, from Eagle Griffin. This got the Ian O'Toole treatment, and oh my, is it pretty beautiful? It really is. And the I, I played this solo, and gotta say, really, really well done, and really, really difficult. Uh, a tough AI, not a tough AI to run, which again. You're going to see a running theme here where the ease 
and low overhead, the more that a game has that for an AI or a bot, the more enjoyable the solo experience is. I'm finding personally, some people don't mind struggling, eh, struggling, maybe not the right word, but having to work at an AI and, and running through the, okay, running through the, the, the machinations of what the bot's supposed to be doing. Right. Whereas here in Rococo, really simple, flip over a card, do a thing, boom, done. Much like Space Infantry Federation, very simple AI to run. And so it gets you right back into what it is you're trying to do and the agency of your decisions and less about just running through the rote mechanisms of what the AI is supposed to do. Now, we have a running joke on the show that hmm. Rococo is the quintessential midweight Euro, still holds up. And as a solo experience, I've really enjoyed my multiple, multiple, multiple plays of this multiplayer. Thoroughly enjoyed solo experience. More than I expected. So well done uh, to everybody that went into designing the, the solo game on this. It felt like playing Rococo. It didn't feel like, oh, this is a version of. No, it felt like playing Rococo. Yeah. And it, the AI was a pain in the ass in a good way. To, <laughs> it was a difficult. Uh, it was a tough competitor. So that was that was great. So really enjoyed my solo play of Rococo. Excellent. Um, let's see. We also played Biosphere, which is one that I have loved for a number of years. I loved it so much. Couldn't get it home from Essen two Essens ago, but three years ago now, and ended up ordering it and getting it shipped over for some crazy amount of money. And I'm glad to have it in my collection, but this isn't a game that you enjoyed right away. Oh, I, I really quite hated it. The and first I'm so time I surprised. It by that because it reminds me a little bit of dominant species kind of i mean it has that it has a lot of that aesthetic look to it and right. feel you know you're 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 different animals and you're out populating the world and, right. and all of that so it has that that kind of some part of the feel to it it doesn't necessarily have the worker placement aspect of no. it but just the the yeah just the feel of it on the table but when I learned it, I learned it in the main hall during BGG Con, which yeah, not the most conducive. And this was right after it had come out. Of course. I was looking forward to it. Just didn't have a great experience and probably played it with too many people to begin with for a first play and all that. What I learned when we played it here is, oh, my, this is a brain burner. It really oh, is. Oh, there is so much to juggle here in a good way. And... Wow, it's harder than I remember, and 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 I enjoyed it far more than I remember. Right, because your main mechanism here is this dice manipulation wheel that is going to change how your animals are going to come out and survive, how long they're going to survive. And you clearly want your animals to survive as long as possible. To ensure that they're getting, you know, propagating, they're having babies, they're moving across and you're achieving these goals. And then the goals that you're achieving change for each game. There's tons of cards that will come out, different types of cards. So even in each section, you're going to pull out different cards for each game. So replayability is super high. The games aren't going to be the same. That said, it's really about focusing on those end game goals, those cards, and making those happen. And that can swing very quickly. 
toward the end of the game. So the entire game, your brain is burning with these dice placement and oh goodness, I've made a drastic mistake. All my animals are about to die and I should have moved this one and I didn't. And now they're not having babies. I threw my voice well here, apparently. Yes. (laughs) You, you did a little bit of that. I have done this in previous plays of the game as well. I recognized your pain in that playthrough of it, but Even that happening, you get used to it. You start to see tricks, which um, in that playthrough as well, we had Shrey in the chat chiming in and he's played this many, many times and seen like, okay, well, if you throw a die here, if you move this animal here and age it down, you're going to get more time from it. This is how you get these specific cards that are really seem hard to get uh, for goals, but they're not hard if you realize that you can maximize this track and then you'll be able to get out all the different types of or ages of animals. Those are tricks that you're going to learn with experience. So there's definitely an experience uh, differential there. Or if somebody really knows what they're doing, they're going to get some benefit to manipulating those dice. So there's a benefit to continual plays of the game. And then it's not really repetitive because your end goals will change. But if you're not all on the same experience level, then there's you're gonna get clobbered. Yeah, there's no, there's really not any catch up mechanism. No. It's one of those you fall behind unless the other player or players makes a mistake. That's all she wrote. Yeah. So even though it has quote unquote dice, you're not rolling the dice, and these are basically just workers that you're you're placing out or your or their counters essentially, yeah. mm-hmm. and it is surprisingly. Brain Bernie and okay, I have it here. It's going to live for three years, but if I move it over to there, oh, wait, it'll last a little bit longer and then I'll be able to move that from there to go over to here. Yeah, yeah, it's just. So, I mean, it's definitely a competition of strategy of decision-making that you love, but at the same time, like you said, you're constantly having to think five turns ahead. Okay, this die is going to come out here. If I need to move this far and I only have this amount of movement, I need to get this card out to get more movement to be able to get that. Yeah, so it's a lot of thinking constantly and at times i'll give up my brain will just be like no yeah i think i'm just putting the animals out i'm just gonna try this and we're gonna see what's gonna happen it seems close enough and maybe it'll work um and i could see people playing it that way a little bit too and that could again be a detriment and put you behind so if you don't mind being what we term splattered which is you're out you're not gonna win you can keep going that's what happened to me in in our game to where i we knew it was over a ways back but i was like you know what i'm gonna get on the board at least because it's a race to i believe it's four five uh, five of the end game goals and i was like for a two-player game i think it changes my, my my goal was to get two and i was like okay all right at least there's that i didn't get skunked well, that's a thing, though, in this game, because, again, I just talked about the experience differential. Use those plays to learn, to try and see what happens when I come out and do this. And you'll discover things as you're playing it. So, yes, that's a hard lesson to learn without the ability to come back and win. But if you use those plays to figure those things out, how to throw die, as Shrey says, you know, get over well, to Or a to sacrifice animals, uh-huh. which actually is a benefit. Yes. Oh, hey, wow, this is going to die. Oh, I can kill it right now. And look at what that's going to 
provide me with. Or so. it's not going to die to the beginning of the next round, and then that gives me an extra movement point, or I can spawn in the next tile, exactly. and that's going to be... And those are the moments that I actually really enjoy about this game, is discovering how that mechanism is really unique and can be manipulated in ways that when you first glance at the game, it doesn't seem possible at all. So... That's what I love about Biosphere. That's why I continue to play it. But definitely it's been up and down for me in that sometime, maybe my third, fourth play of it, I started to feel like, oh, wow, it ends quickly when it ends. Like somebody's ahead and they're just like, boom, boom, boom. And that's it. It's over. And I was all thinking I was going to do something awesome. Um, so it's it's gone back and forth for me, but I do still enjoy my plays of Biosphere. I hated my first play. I really enjoyed my second play. I'm looking forward to playing it again. Speaking of uh, games that I, I I didn't enjoy at first, uh, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System. I was a backer of this way back in the day. I want to say it was 2013, 2014, whenever the, kick, the original Kickstarter was for it. And we were fortunate enough to get the traveling prototype stopped by when we lived in Denver. And Tony and I played this at the time. And... We were all set with it at that point. Like we were all good. And that was it. Just the, the, the space opera randomness to no, just the answer was no done with the game. Then fast forward to 2020 and I went by our buddy cons place who, or well, actually the parking lot, we, he and I talked and he had a list of games. He was like, Hey, it's not like I'm going to be playing these anytime soon. Is there anything you want to borrow to uh, to be able to show off on the show or whatever? And I listed a bunch of games and I was like, huh, there was Zaya, Legends of a Drift System sitting there. And I was like, it can be soloed, right? Huh, maybe. So put it in there, but you have to have Forsaken. Uh, I forget the expansion, but you have to have the expansion to make it playable solo. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll see if I get to it. Busted it out. And you know what? Come to find out, I really enjoyed the solo game of Zaya, which I would never have guessed. And I'm going to make a comparison to a game that is probably going to surprise some people. But I would say that Zaya, Legends of Address System, is the equivalent for fantasy slash sci-fi slash, you know, uh, Ameritrash, if you will, gamers, that The Hunters is for war gamers. The Hunters being GMT's game about being a commandant of a U-boat and going around and, and sinking merchant shipping. It's all a ton of randomness. It has a whole lot of dice chucking in it and... A whole lot of random draws for what tiles and the map that that comes out. However, the story that the game tells is really compelling and really engaging. And as long as you go into it expecting that, knowing that, it can be a really, really enjoyable uh, play, a solo play of Zaya. It's funny that you say that because, of course... 
you had Zaya, because I have Zaya. I backed it with the uh, the embers of a forsaken star. That's it. That's yes. the expansion. Yes. Expansion. And I loved it from then. And I always would tell you how much I liked this game. I really enjoyed it. And I loved that you could get a point for a rolling crit because D&D days. Come on. I rolled a crit. I get bonus bonus points for that that's amazing so roll a 20 on a 20 sided die congrats you get a point uh-huh yeah. i rolled well dang it like right. i want a point for that and i love that and i have lost games of it to somebody rolling crit and i am fine with that so i think it depends on your perspective of that maybe if you have some role play background and that is just the most exciting thing that could happen anyway and you're going to be happy to any player who rolled crit because come on crit like Yes. But so, the gameplay itself is actually really interesting because you have a yes. spaceship, you're flying around, you outfit it with either, you know, super high powered engines to be able to give you right. the ability to go explore, which might give you the ability to do more missions, which that's the aspect of the game that I most well, enjoy. And you're deciding what you're going to be, which is, again, a little bit of a throwback to role play, because I get to decide, am I going to be an outlaw? Am I going to be bad? Am I going to pick up bounties? Am I going to be good? What am I going to do and what comes out is going to kind of dictate which path you chose is going to be more beneficial or not. And there are three NPCs that are flying around that depending on what it is that you're actually, whether you're a good guy yes. doing missions, whether you're a bad guy trying to kill people, they're either going to be going after one another, mm -hmm. the NPCs, or they're going to be coming after you depending on you, what your actions are. And I just think it makes for a really, really good story and a really interesting and hard game to win. So, yeah, sign me up. I was I was shocked in how much I enjoyed Zaya. Yeah, see, and that's I would make another unique comparison that it's like role playing in space, throwing out random, you're blind jumping or choosing to investigate and throwing out these new tiles and creating a universe that you're exploring. That to me is a, a role playing game without a DM. And guess what? So is the Hunters. You're role-playing as a commandant of a U-boat going around and you have crew that might get and uh, might get injured yes. and you might you know you're taking a risk do you attack during the day do you do you, uh on the surface do you attack uh submerged there might be a uh a strafing run that comes down on you so yeah it's role-playing just depends on your theme and I think it handles it pretty well the rules not great and there are definitely some some holes here and you have to make some okay what do i think is the goal here like what do i think the ai would want to do but in zaya there, there are definitely some some holes there and clearly cody the designer his area of expertise is not in rules writing but in the end you can get through it and it makes for a really good and enjoyable experience. Well, I'm glad you liked it this time. Maybe you'll play it with me now. All right. Maybe. We'll see. I, I liked it solo. We'll see whether or not <laughs> I, I would like it multiplayer or not. So 
we also played some lighter games. We played Mandala Stones. Right, from Board and Dice. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, frustrating in a good way. Yes. Right? It's, it's an abstract uh, game. And I didn't know that Mandala Stones were like a real thing. Yes. And I think when they started this game, the theme was actually an accident. They were creating these circular uh, boards and making these things uh, compile. And so Mandala Stones was actually just a placeholder theme. And then it was so good, it stuck. So I love that story of it. And I love playing it because it's just a beautiful game, but it's more thinky than you would believe right like this is a game that looks super simple this this shouldn't take much time and then when you're playing it it can be frustrating when you don't have moves or your move is really going to benefit the next player yeah the theme use artists to collect colorful stones in towers that you can score okay it's an abstract and it has different scoring mechanisms ultimately that's what it is you're trying to do but it's pretty it looks good on the table. Yep. And it makes for a really, well, thinky filler, which is exactly yes. what it's trying to do. So mission accomplished on that. Plus, it's just the aesthetic on the table. I think it's ebonite. The the pieces, they're not like plastic. Yeah. They're, I think they're ebonite. Uh, screen printed. It just looks really good. It's as thinky as you want it to be and makes for a really enjoyable experience. Really enjoyable you know, filler. Absolutely. And talk about being pretty. It starts out pretty just with the board and your artists that are out there and where the tiles are laid out. But it also ends being pretty because you created this circular uh, tile placement as you've gone and brought your stones to market and created this big mandala stone. Which is what happens when you're scoring, right? right. Yeah. It, aesthetically pleasing and competitive and thinky. Yep, sign me up. Yeah. Couple other solo games. Uh Obsession. Uh wait for men. No, uh Tony and I recently <laughs> did the uh the review of Obsession. Y'all know how much I've enjoyed that game. There are three different ways to play the solo experience with as long as you have the expansion for it. And I have now, I think, streamed it four times total. Once as a multiplayer, and now all three different ways of playing the solo game. And I've loved it every single different way that you can play this game. If you want Jane Austen, the board game, this is it. And even if you don't, if you enjoy Euros, check this out. It's just so, so good. Go listen to it. I think it was episode 150, 151, something like that. Go listen to the review. Enough about that. The Solo Estate Challenge, which is the most recent version of the solo game that I played, was just as good as all of the other variations of the ways to play the solo game and just thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm, I mean, I'm going to shout out the designer, though. This is his first game. And wow, just such a good job. Yeah, and, Dan Halligan over at uh, Kayenta Games, just And produced publishing it himself. He did just fantastic. So i really, really proud of him. Can't wait to see more stuff from him as well. On that note, and this isn't to tear down what you just said, because I think this game is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Have you found that when a designer has 
the, a game that is their passion project, right? Whether it's this or something like a feudum from Mark Swanson or something that they've invested years and years and years of themselves into designing and developing this game. That it's hard to match that level again because you're not going to have a decade or, you know, five plus years of designing and developing this next game. So does it live up? I don't know, but I'm very that, excited to see. I think that's going to depend. I mean, I also think that passion projects depend. I think we've seen passion projects come out from a designer, especially self-published, one that maybe doesn't have a rules editor or another developer to join them on the project. And it will come out a little bit south of where it needed to be. That's a really nice way of saying over bloated and under underdeveloped. I didn't say any of those words. Right. All I, I said was well, a no, little you, south no, we're not, of where it we're needed to be. We're not saying any game names by, you know, 100%. But, but it, yeah. it varies as to what can happen with those games. And to me, it really is awesome when somebody is able to take a game like this and make it this good. And thematically, the 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 theme and the mechanism so intertwined, so well done. I don't know that there's a better example of that in this hobby. I mean, that said, I will caveat that his first uh, print of it, he did make a lot of changes in the second print run of it because Which of were, feedback right, and. and it, Across yes. the board, improvements all the way around. Right, yep. and can be found on BGG what changed and can be applied to the first printing of it. So all things that he wanted to ensure that everybody who got the game would be able to enjoy, and he wanted to make improvements and adjust that. So, yeah, he, great job with that. Um, Go and, pick up Obsession. Obsession's amazing. Okay, Go pick it up when it's available later this summer because right. there's there's another 5,000 copy print run that is because of COVID, everything got backed right. up, going to be available this summer. So, But yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend that game. I know. It really, really is a great one. Um, on that line, Chai T for Two, you were talking about passion projects. Chai was a passion project, and we streamed that when it was first on Kickstarter. And Chai T for Two would be their second published by themselves uh, in that line of their passion project. I mean, it's tea, so you you have my ear. That'd be of, your obsession, wouldn't it? Oh, totally. I, I'm so <laughs> becoming a tea snob. But I, yeah, the production quality on this, even though we had a prototype, was stupidly good. Yes. Uh, over the top good. And the gameplay is fun. I, I would consider this a thinky filler that... Uh, recipe fulfillment and enjoyable little game and colorful and aesthetically pleasing and and enjoyable with meaty decisions so yeah it's kind of it nailed it nailed exactly right. what it was going for right and this was a prototype that we were playing so some changes may be made for the final copy but there's a lot of replayability I could see, too, for a two-player game. You can flip the boards over and have different paths of where your tea can go, have it oxidize, I think, on the advanced copy as it moves up so that you can get your tea off on ships. I mean, ships, Boston Tea Party, I was in for this. Uh, I didn't dump any of my tea. Maybe I would have or flipped the table. I could have just flipped my ships if things went awry. But it went well for me, and I am going to say... Maybe something controversial, but I feel like T for Two is actually better than their original. I, I don't think that's controversial at all. In my opinion, I would rather play this 
uh, chai tea for two than the original chai. I but, would as well. And but I think that shows a growth in the designers. Yes, right? and you just said, does that actually, you know, if they're spending years on that first project, are they going to be able to come up with something additionally? Now, obviously, thematically, this was tangential, but gameplay-wise, the mechanisms weren't tangential. This was all new mechanisms that you were doing to get your tea out there on yeah, these Yeah, mechanically shippers. simple. Like, it's a worker placement. Some uh, some workers activate immediately. Then there can be, like, kind of a... Uh, almost a a a gin rummy aspect of it's a dice, the dice. worker placement yeah, yeah it's a dice worker placement but then there can be a little bit of battling for a couple of the locations where you know you're putting out multiples of the same die so like a pair of sixes something like that or a run on a different uh worker placement area to where it's a run of multiple dice so it could be like one two three and then you can get bumped out of there by the other player by having higher value dice and so there's there's timing aspects of when you place what do i place what do i think you want what do you think i want you know that i know that you know that i know and all so yeah there's there's more than meets the eye on the game but not to the not to a a point to where it's trying it it doesn't deliver on what its premise is, which is trying to be a thinky filler. So it does that really well. And I wanted it exactly where it was on this one. So I mentioned with Shores of Tripoli, I wanted more. This one, this is all I wanted from it. I just wanted to roll the die, move my tea, get the ships out there. You have a choice of how many ships you decide at the beginning of the game you're going to fulfill for the win um, or the win condition, I guess, because you're still playing for points. So you can make it a shorter or longer game as well. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed this more. I already liked chai. I didn't expect to like chai tea for two as much as I did. Same. Fair. All right. Last one I got for solo games anyways, is a game that a lot of people were excited to see on the show that I was, eh, we'll see about it. And again, I enjoyed more than I thought it would. And that's Lost Ruins of Arnak from CGE or Czech Games Edition. Uh, The... Premise is kind of uh, uncharted, right? If you are if you're familiar with that video game series, it has nothing to do with that series. Just you're going around or or a Tomb Raider type to where you're going around and discovering different ruins and, and digging at sites and all of that. I have yet to play this multiplayer. It plays, I think it's uh, one to four players, but solo, I played it twice. There are two versions. I think it's bird side of the board and snake side, which is a more uh, a little bit more of a difficult side of the board to play on. Played them both and talk about a excellent AI implementation. Couldn't have been better the way they implemented the 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 bot or the AI in this. And the gameplay was really I enjoyed it. However, Having played it twice now, while there is some replayability here, and I think there are people that this is one of their favorite games of the last year or so, I don't know how much more I want to play Lost Ruins of Arnak just because while it has that replayability, there isn't a whole lot of emergent gameplay. You're just basically going up a research track and exploring and digging at sites and it's a resource conversion there isn't anything new that's going to happen in this game that i haven't already seen so as long as you enjoy doing what this game provides 
then you'll enjoy it. But after a couple of plays, I think I'm all set with it. Okay. So, but yeah, I it's enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. It it is. I I the bot the AI is as good as any that I've ever played against as far as ease of use and just how fluid and how it's well implemented and how slick and clever it's well implemented. Mm-hmm. But the game's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's nothing that is, you know, jumping off the shelf saying, ooh, ooh play me, play me. I played it a couple times. I really enjoyed it. I think I'm good. Sounds good. So another thinky filler we played, One Card Wonder. What did you think about that? Because clearly this was a prototype. This is a game that I worked on the Kickstarter. I brought it to the table and was like, come on, come play this with me. I need to get familiar with it. What did you think? I enjoyed some aspects of it. I thought it was a little simple simple at times. Mm-hmm. Uh but I love that they use, I mean, the, the premise of it, one card wonder, meaning each of us has one card of a wonder that we are constructing. Yes. Right? So the historical aspect of it and the artwork, I think, is fantastic. I love that they used some wonders that are less obvious, like, okay, there's the pyramids, there's the hanging gardens of Babylon, right. there, you know, there's all of this, but they also have uh, some others that I I was excited to be to see included. Also, the leaders. I really like the leaders, mm-hmm. uh, which is I think a little mini expansion it for is. the game, right? Mm-hmm. And the leaders, all of them are overpowered. So if everything's overpowered, nothing's overpowered. So the leaders allow you to do this really massive rule break. You know, you know, just completely taking over, uh, doing something super powerful. However. The aspect of it that I thought was really, really cool is, and this is probably better in a multiplayer game, that each of these leaders has the ability to fizzle and not have it trigger. Yeah. If collectively all of the players chip in to pay the cost to not have it go off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really clever way to to introduce something that can be overpowered yes i loved it i i thought that aspect of it was really good other than that it's a very simple action selection game and resource conversion game it is uh with beautiful artwork that i enjoyed yeah focus on family for that game it really is to play with family or... and that fits perfect right and if you're teaching even somebody new to the hobby and you want to introduce certain mechanisms okay we're gonna do some resource management here but we're also gonna time where you might want to use your leader watch what other people have are they going to be able to prevent your leader right now or is this the time to make this happen so Those are interesting things to introduce, um, and especially if you have kids that are learning to game. So I really enjoyed showing this to the kids, playing it. It was easy to introduce to them. Definitely an easy game to get to the table as well. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a family weight, thinky filler type game, excellent for that. that i have is power grid more power grid we played uh this is the quebec map 
uh, Quebec for those non-phonetic speller or something. Anyway, yeah, Quebec and enjoyed it. Had a pretty simple uh, adjustment to the rules and the map was really, really tight or where all the good connections were. But Power Grid's Power Grid. It doesn't have the huge swings uh, like an Age of Steam variation on the maps are, but Power Grid's a classic for a reason. Loved it. Enjoyed it. I don't know that I would feel compelled that I would need the Quebec map, but if you want it as a variation, just give me more Power Grid and I'm happy. I don't care which map, to be right. honest. The only, the only real... Uh, massive differences I found map wise are really the India uh, subcontinent as well as the Australian map. Outside of that, I don't care what map we play and, and it's it, more power grid is good. So yeah, sign me up. So we also played some station fall. We did. <laughs> so there's nothing like having 15 minutes on a space station to make it off the space station alive. Or not. Or not, depending on what your private goal is. I think everybody has to live, though. I don't know. I haven't played all the characters. So there's all these characters that you could potentially play as. You're on a station. It is falling to Earth, and it is going to explode when it hits Earth's atmosphere. You have to escape. Maybe make another secret player that's your either ally or enemy, escape or die. And you have other goals depending on what character you are. But nobody knows what you are. It's like Among Us. It, it, man, I had no idea what to expect. Now, I played this a couple of times now, but going into it for the first game, I had no idea. Okay, it's from Ion Game Design. And it's from Matt Eklund, the same guy who did PAX Transhumanity. Okay, yes. so I'm I'm interested. So what is it? It's a party game for heavy gamers. Wait, what? It's a hidden role. Just Battlestar Galactica secret. It's just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And every single person that we have played this with, whether it's been uh, on the stream or before getting ready for it, has loved this game. Yeah. And it's a hidden role. Just, yeah, it's 15 minutes. It's the It doesn't theme take it, 15 it's minutes. It's not That's a time game. It's not a real time no. game or anything. It, it'll probably take you 90 to a couple hours. It's not a filler. No. The, and a party game. It's it's a real game, but the, the theme of it is very party game-esque. Yes, and the experiences that come out of it because the stories are amazing. Nobody knows what you are to begin with. You could potentially do something, uh, what is it, Schrodinger's cat, where you could change who you are. You choose when you reveal who you are. And up until that point, people can actually use your character to do some of their special abilities. And you don't have your special abilities until you reveal as this character. But you want to time that right because then people will know what your goals are, or at least some of them. So they're going to try to block you. So you have to pick every turn. Am I going to reveal? If I'm not going to reveal, what character am I going to move and utilize and do things with and planning ahead? And it seems like 15 minutes, it's basically 15 turns that you're going to take it seems like you have plenty of time <laughs> and you don't. And 
I kind of admitted on the live stream of this that every time I've played this, I've started out by writing to the developer, Andy Mesa, and saying, yeah, this one, you're going to have to look at these characters. This is OP. I'm going to have this in like four turns. And he's like, good luck. And then I don't. Yeah, because the problem is uh, you can control any character that hasn't been revealed. Yep. And there can be a dozen characters that are in play. And you're moving them around the space station. So I move them and then Jessica come uh, back around and move it on her turn. And now it's not where I need him to be. And uh, it's just, it's chaotic, but it's so much fun. You can kill one another. You can revive one another. You can kick them out into space. You can just... You can release Project X, which might be some black goo. It might be a, a some sort of monster. It could be a virus on the space station, which, you know what? You might be psychotic and, and want that to happen and benefit from that happening. So many good stories and so much thoroughly enjoyable, enjoyable chaos that, yeah, I can't wait to actually have people around the table sitting down here playing Station Fall. Sign me up. And we talked about role playing in games. That's what I feel like this is. It feels like, again, you're role playing in a game, but yet it's secret. So it's an added level of role playing. Noticing the theme today that was not intentional with that. Is that the new theme for games, maybe, as we uh, went through a pandemic? They kind of, it seems like it emerged. We had roll and rights for a while. And now I'm seeing a lot of experiential games or role playing games. Yeah, you're trying game. to win, but the stories that come out of Station it's Fall more important. is far more important. And yes. I would argue the same out of a game like Zaya. Right. Um, although, granted, not a new game, but I'm just saying the 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 having the theme tied in really well and having the, those stories come out of a game. I'm finding that I'm enjoying that more and more as as time goes along. Yeah, it's a great memory. It's a great way to talk about it. And I think it's a great way to bring people into the hobby. I mean, full disclosure, as you said, this is an eye on game design. So obviously I was involved in the Kickstarter and working on it. Um, but I've enjoyed this one from the beginning. I'm, there's there's I've really, really enjoyed my plays and I loved marketing it because when you love something, it's really easy to be like, hey, check this out. And the stories are what what do it for people yeah good stuff all right so acquisitions what we got recently Ooh, Genotype came in. It did, and looking forward to playing that solo and then possibly multiplayer. So, yeah, Genotype. It's a Mendelian? Johan Gregor Mendel. Yes. He was the one who uh, pioneered genetic research, right? Uh, P, uh, in plants. Yeah, pea plants. Mm-hmm. And this is a game, a action selection game about that with tied to history and it's from genius games so that kind of makes sense right right yeah i get the science in there from genius games and they were kind enough to send us a review copy of it and i do love the theme i like the idea of the dominant and recessive genes i had a lot of fun with that in school remember learning those things vaguely it's it's been a minute 
But no, uh, I don't remember learning a lot about it, but it doesn't matter. I'm looking forward to checking out and seeing how the the mechanisms tie to the theme on this one. I mean, that's what I love. I love the idea of taking science or history and then creating mechanisms that work around that, making the game work and learning something at the same time. So hopefully the theme bleeds through on that one. And my goal of the day today is to figure out a way to to tie in the phrase Punnett squares into regular everyday conversation. So we'll see how that works out. We'll see how that works out. And when you do that, I won't get all freaked out. Like you're saying gargoyle out of the wild. They'll be like, what? Oh, okay. Punnett squares. Right. I mean, because obviously. We also got Ulm in. Well, I I would argue you got this in specific, right? Yes. This one came to me from Board Game Mom. Uh, She wanted me to see it because I hadn't. But it did come out several years ago, right? When was this one published? Oh, God, uh, four, five years ago, it yeah. came out at Essen. This was kind of, kind of one of the big uh, releases uh, at Essen that year uh, from, who was it there at Essen that year? Uh, was it from R&R or Hutch or Hooch? I think Hooch. is how you. Yeah, it's probably Hooch that had it over there, and then R&R Games brought it over here. I think so. Mm-hmm. So 2016 title, and this one has a lot of luck. So for folks who are opposed to a lot of luck in their game, this might not be for you, but I'm still really looking forward to checking it out because it's supposed to also have a lot of tension, meaning you need to do five things on your turn, but you have three actions right and you're hoping that you're able to actually carry them out because you it's there's a lot of planning uh pre-planning of your turns yes and find out whether or not you're able to do that and from everything i've read about it it's kind of a throwback euro Mm -hmm. and so yeah all right old school i'm i'm down with that yeah sounds good to me let's do it so that's ohm then uh we got a couple of prototypes one a prototype i well i guess both are technically prototypes but one of them it was pre-production prototype so really high-end prototype uh the prototype that we got was mosaic uh from forbidden games and that has a lot of minis it's a, a civilization game that i think is still on kickstarter it may have just ended i forget but um yeah that was i enjoyed playing that one it's one of those games that once you get an engine going, uh, a lot of games, once you get that engine going, you get to run that engine one or two times and that's it. This is one where you get to run it a, a, a bit more than that and it becomes somewhat of a race game, but a pretty cool little civilization game that we enjoyed playing. And the other one is one that we haven't played and this is from Capstone Games. Alexander Huemer's uh, follow-up to Lignum. Now, when I say it's his follow-up, I don't mean that it's the, you know, a, a successor to Lignum. I'm just saying it's his next design. And that's Imperial Steam. Mm-hmm. And this has gone through a whole bunch of iterations and development. And I haven't dug into it, the what the final version looks like yet. Okay. But I've taken the lid off the box and ooh. 
It's pretty. It's really pretty. Well, see, I'm just excited because I love Lignum. Lignum has a really special place in my heart because it was the game Scott Nicholson taught me at the gathering. And it became a game that I refer to as, you know, who doesn't want to play a game that it feels like you had your arm cut off by a bandsaw at the end of it. Like Lignum is a tough, tough game. There's no wood and you need wood. And... It just disappears and you hate your friends at the end of it because they took all your damn wood and I love it. So I have high hopes for Imperial Steam. Probably no wood in this one no since it's, it's Imperial Steam. So no. kind of a uh, fantasy type theme in this one. But uh, yeah, really, really looking forward to digging into mm -hmm. that. And I assure you, y'all are going to hear and see a lot of that coming up. Uh, well, when when we're able to do so. So there's that. One more prototype we did get in was Dealers and Hope. Uh, this is by Kevin Nunn. And this prototype was sent to me by Kevin Bresky at Ape Games because he said it's a deck builder that I'm actually going to like. That That's a big ask because you really don't like, don't deck, like builders. deck builders. No, I don't. So this this will be interesting. This one has a big challenge for it to be a deck builder I enjoy. Sea levels have risen, causing severe land and resource shortages. Europe has erupted in war, and it's up to you to salvage what is left for your people. Mm -hmm. It's a deck-building game of conflict. Dealers in hope. Yes. I literally heard about this about 15 seconds ago. <laughs> this is true. Um, but there's a lot of like, I'm also watching shows that are very post-apocalyptic right now. So I'm interested in this. Sweet oh, Tooth. looking at you, out. Sweet Tooth. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm in the mood for this and I'm excited to to give it a try and see, see if it lives up to uh, Kevin's hype. Nice. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, not a ton of recent acquisitions, but a, but a fair bit there. All right. looking forward to anticipating hunting for what games are on your radar so i keep promising this one but for some reason it's just not happening yet and dominant species marine mm. right that uh i mean dominant species one of my all-time favorite games and this is swimming uh, with the fishes right it's 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 Dominant species, but in the water, theoretically, because right. we don't have it and have yet to play it. It's the late, great Chad Jensen's final design, mm -hmm. and I'm excited to get my hands on it. I, how do I say this without being a jerk? I expected to be disappointed. And the reason I say that is I feel like everybody was, is expecting this to somehow be better than dominant species 
And I don't know how there could be a better dominant species than dominant species. Right. So I feel like the game is set up to fail because the anticipation is so high. But I don't think they've ever said this. It's more like a sister game to dominant species. So I think people do need to keep that in mind. I think that's a really good point that this isn't supposed to replace this in your collection. But for me, being as sentimental as I am about games, being Chad Jensen's last game, it has to be in my collection. Absolutely. Oh, I, I- I'm, I'm super jonesing to get my hands out. We mm-hmm. need to actually finally pull the trigger on this one and, and actually pick it up. Yes. So, yeah. All right. What about Cosmic Frog? We've seen the cover of this, the psychedelic frog reaching down. This thing looks super interesting. What are um, your thoughts? Uh, I think Jim Felly took at some point a lot of LSD. <laughs> Well, he didn't design the cover. <laughs> no, no, but no, but just the, just the 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 idea and the way he comes up with games, and I mean that is a ter- uh, uh, you know in in jest, and and sure. Jim Jim is a good dude, and I've heard that it is a just bizarre, weird game. I mean, control your two mile tall, overpowered cosmic frog to harvest the best terrain. Because why wouldn't you? You just had me an odd and weird game. I mean, that sounds fun. And a little frog mini that's standing up. Frogs don't stand up. This is fantastic. It looks good. Well, and and Rand has has spoken well about it. This came out a year, almost two years ago at the previous Essen timeframe, I think, around then. And we saw it on the table at one of the PAXs. Yes. And... Just you got to be in the right mood to play something like this, I imagine. But uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out, looking forward to getting a copy of it and 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 going from there. Yeah, it got nominated for a bunch of awards. I think it was, you know, runner up for a lot of things, but it does look super interesting. Cosmos, frogs and hexes. So I'm in for playing that. Definitely. And then there was a game that we haven't played for a very long time and we played it. Three hours after it was created by the designer, Friedman Fries. I, I think it I, it might have even been less time than that. But it, yeah, it, it popped into his head and he had written some stuff down on paper. And then he was like, would you like to play my first idea of this? And it was uh, Firebent. Yeah. And we were like, um, yes, Friedman, we uh-huh. would love to. Yeah. So you, me, him. And I feel that was it. Was it just the three of us yeah, that played I think so. this? Oh, no, might have been Fell. Fell might have been there with us. I it might have been. Yes. Yeah. I think it was Fell Barrows. So um, so we're we're at the gathering. It was yes. my first gathering of friends and what a surreal experience that was. But anyway, um and you and I kind of know Friedemann. Yes. And so he was like, "Hey, I just came up with this game. You want to come play?" Yeah, and, yep. It was And we were like, "Uh, in yeah. the airport." He somebody mentioned something and he's like, I could make a game of that and wrote it on paper. So I've been thinking about this lately and went and looked it up. And of course, it came out from his publishing company in 2020. So last year. And I just want to play it and see where he took it, where it ended up after this three hour prototype. And of course, the theme is really interesting because you're trying to make your workers relaxed and happy. They go to work each day, they leave work and they want to have fun in the evenings. So it's a worker placement and you're competing over spots that are going to make your workers relaxed and happy. 
you have to take vacation time and you work more hours so that you make more money so you can get more vacation and and enjoy your vacation because uh uh and i'm probably gonna butcher it but fire bent yes i think uh, means like end of the workday or something like that right and uh but the hook the thing that really grabbed both you and i about this game go for it so there was a part where there's the wage gap it considers the wage gap and it considers gender in regards to that so it's female male and non-binary um and it's talking about the fact that the women and non-binary in your team should be paid the same as the men but they're not but they're not. So you can either just go through the game with them being paid less because you have, you know, different workers that are of these different um, types. And so you can just go through the game with them being paid less or you can take a worker placement action to go ahead and increase their pay. Fight for that. I, I think that's awesome that when we when we heard that, we were like, that's awesome that you're. I wouldn't say necessarily. I don't think we said awesome. Honestly, Friedman was asking us, is this okay? He was saying, this is an idea. This is a spot we were trying to put. And is that something that can be covered in a game without seeing And that's what I mean by that's awesome that he was willing to represent that in the game. I thought that was fantastic. And yeah, I think that's good to highlight. Look, Hey, this is how it is. It's not good that it exists, but it does exist. And trying to cover it in a satirical way, I think, is a is a good way to handle that. Well, even a frustrating way, right? Because it's an action to go and do this. So it frustrates you as the player showing that impact um, that you're going to have because your workers are going to be less happy making less money. They're going to be less able to go to these spots and buy certain things. And that's going to be frustrating to you as a player. So it's making you recognize that this is frustrating for the folks impacted by it. So, yeah, I, I would like to see the and play the final version of the game. Yes, me too. All right. Another one that I'm looking forward to is one that a lot of folks uh, in the herd have been uh, talking about and asking about, and that's Merv, the heart of the Silk Road from Osprey Games. Um, Fabio Lopiano, I believe, is the designer of Kalimala as well. And oh, that's the game you made me buy at Essen, my first Essen. I didn't make you buy oh, it. Oh, yes, you did. You created a buzz on social media, which I was tracking all the Essen posts. And Mr. Heavy Cardboard was posting about Kalamala and how amazing it was. And a bunch of us little tiny people in the hobby oh, were talking gosh. about it and like all had to go buy Kalamala because you started a crazy buzz on it. I, I thought didn't... it was really good. It, yes. It's one mechanism in the entire game that it's built around and I thought it did it exceptionally well. I and... mean, clearly we went and took a look at it. I remember going over with Steph and it might have been Ella, but other folks in the industry, we went and took a look at it based on the buzz. And we saw what you saw. It looked really good. And and we picked it up. Of course, I didn't have to pick it up if Steph picked it up. But because Steph at the time, because she was uh, we had game days together. But yeah, it was. So, yeah, you made us go get Kalamala. You're welcome. <laughs> so Merv, uh, supposed to be an economic game charting the rise and fall of the greatest city in the world. 
I know very little about the game other than it has artwork by Ian O'Toole and it just looks interesting if you just look at the pictures. I want to check it out. I'm, I'm hearing good things about the game. I would like to give it a try. And the last one um, doesn't exist yet, but uh, it's 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 an expansion to a game that we played last year or yes. maybe this year. I can't remember. I think it was 2020. Sometime during the pandemic uh, and before the pandemic. Uh, Beyond the Sun mm-hmm. uh, from Rio Grande Games. The designer is local here. Yeah. And there's an expansion coming out for it, Leaders of the Exodus. I know very little about it, but... I know more Beyond the Sun is going to be a good thing because you and Agreed. I really enjoyed this game. Yeah, I love the buildup of the turns on this. It starts slow, but you can see what you want to accomplish and you go for it. And then there's lots of tension, which I love in a game because I have to make sure that I'm taking my path better than you're taking your path and maybe blocking you at least as much as you're blocking me. And yeah, I truly enjoyed it so much that I think I've shared the story that when we played the proto type it's just a demo and they wanted to end the game and we're like okay the demo's over and I was like no 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 you're letting me finish this turn I've been waiting for this and I got a big turn and everybody was very nice to me and let me do my big turn but that's the kind of game beyond the sun is so adding more to beyond the sun yes please it's tech trees the game and I I love that I Uh absolutely love being able to build your your civilization your 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 you know not race but your corporation as it was in this but just the way it works really big fan we've played it at least once if not twice on stream and yeah we we loved it looking forward to the expansion for that all the things that we're looking forward to uh, you know acquiring what is it you're actually looking forward to you know playing on top of all of these so 18 chesapeake yeah uh supposed to be a good entry point to the 18xx series but also good for experienced players to and you can you know play together like it's not a the type of game to where um, the experience 18 XXers are going to get bored and right. it's not going to be too much for folks dipping their toe into 18 XX. I've heard nothing but good things about 18 Chesapeake and we have uh cons copy of it. Looking forward to digging into that. I really want to so in for that. Um, we hear that a lot though, right? That here's the 18 XX that newer players can play. And I didn't start out on newer player approved 18xx i think it depends on who you play with for that for sure as long as people are willing to teach you take the time and then you're playing with folks that aren't just trying to annihilate you handily um so i but i'm really really excited about this one and maybe this will be the one where when people ask me how do i get someone to play 18xx maybe this replaces you know the usual 1889 1846 tend to be the two or possibly if if just to make it because easily accessible or easily available 1830 but so is 89 and 46 nowadays so there's that Mm -hmm. and then i mean your old standby well gengopolis just got its reprint so i see more and more people playing this and 
I'm trying to perfect a really, really good teach for this. It's one of these ones that is so simple. You have three choices, three actions you can take. It's not hard, but it's really hard to envision how the game is going to end up with your simultaneous action selection. So I'm excited to talk more about Gingopolis now that people can actually get the game and stream it. I would love to. And you're of the mind that there is a specific player count that is ideal? Oh, yeah, that would be three. It definitely is best at three. And that's pretty widely uh, accepted and known. Though Martin's had great experience playing it at two uh, with Cindy. So maybe maybe that's a option as well. I've played it at two and I didn't hate it. I have not liked it at five. What about four then? Four is okay. I still think it's a little long. And it also depends though, now that it's more widely available and folks are going to be playing it more, if you have a bunch of experienced players, then I sit, think sitting down and playing at four would be great. Oh, okay. I get it. So what you're saying is because uh, new players, it goes slow, et cetera, et cetera. It plays too long at four. is yeah. At four or even five. Like I sat down with four new players who were just, adamant that i teach them how to play we played at five and i think it took us five hours oh and god it was oh. really oh that's terrible painful so no i think you need to also just limit how many new players you have in a play of it okay that's fair that's fair all right so for me i have a list of like five i'll just go through real quick that uh looking forward to giving a try to and this is a game that's not coming out till next year, but I have no doubt that we are going to be working with Mind Clash Games uh, on this one, and that's Voidfall from uh, the same designer that every single game in the world seems to be published by nowadays or designed by, and that's David Tertzi. Now, with Nigel Buckle. Yes, and, and I apologize, Nigel. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to this. And I really do enjoy the David Turtsy's designs. But I wonder at what point does it become... Saturation of the market for David Turtsy designs? Yeah, like, does one bleed... Like, why do I need... How does this differentiate itself from that or that or that or those other 12? Well, I think what happens is because he's so good about finding excellent co-designers that... Hopefully, and I'm sure this is David's hope too, they bring a twist to what this game is going to end up being. So this is co-designed with Nigel Buckle. He has Norley Lovers on some co-designs, um, right? So he's doing these team-ups that allow his kind of vision for the game to take shape and them to come in and make changes or vice versa. There are games that are going to be, in this case, you know, Nigel has uh, front billing. He may have come up with the entire design for this with David coming in and saying, okay, here's, we're going to tweak and put in and pull back um, enough in the design to, to put his stamp on it. So I'm always excited to see what he does with things and, and where things go. So yeah, Voidfall and Mind Clash Games I'm always excited about their stuff, too, because they seem to have a really cohesive team where they get, I mean, Eon O'Toole art on this. It's gorgeous. And then, you know, different elements of, of the team that are just fantastic for getting a good price point. Yeah. I mean, publisher background. I'm always impressed by Mind Clash games. 
And let's face it, we know the production quality is going to be ridiculously good coming from Mind Clash. So I'm yep. looking forward to it. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to see how this differentiates itself from other games that that David's had a hand in. And then uh, everything else is either at least two years old, I think, right? And that is, so Race for the Galaxy, way more than two years old. Yes. I have always had trouble wrapping my head around the iconography of race. And I we happen to have two people that are resident experts for race here oh, yes. in our local group in yes. Shrey and Martin. So I'm looking forward to having a race week here at HCHQ to where we bust out Race for the Galaxy, we bust out Roll for the Galaxy, we bust out New Frontiers, possibly San Juan, because that's basically a two-player mm-hmm. race, very very similar. Um, and, and, and looking forward to digging into all the iterations, but also being able to, to stream all of these and to wrap my head around the iconography of race, because Race for the Galaxy is a all-time classic but the barrier to entry is pretty steep because of the learning curve on this. I remember Absolutely. being... The, the experience differential on this one's high. I mean, I've played with Jeff. Don't forget, Jeff is also Jeff Spears, yep. uh, expert at this. And my first game was with him and someone else in the local group that had played probably 100 times. So I just consistently got creamed (laughs) but it was I could still see it like I could see wanting to play again get better at it but there is for sure um an experience differential once you really get used to the game but it sounds like it's a game that is really worth that effort I'm looking forward to digging into it more for sure so then next one is from Essen two years ago in 2019 and right when we were about to start digging into it the pandemic hit and that's era of tribes and this is from a new publisher which is i believe the designers publisher company uh black beacon games it looks to be a hopefully not overwrought civilization game with a really interesting uh tech tree design to it the little hex on the left side of the board looks really interesting it looks very busy but i have high hopes for it and i've wanted to dig into this and it's it's a big one it's a really really big game and i've been wanting to tackle this one for well two years it was really high on my s and uh preview and got a copy and now that we're able to have folks over at HCHQ looking forward to digging into it. Yeah, I backed this on Kickstarter, so I'm excited to play it as well. Actually play the game that I backed a really long time ago. I had no idea this was a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Looking at it, that kind of makes a lot of sense now. But um, yeah, it's it's a game that I'm, I'm Jones in to dig into. So hopefully we can get that played sooner rather than later. Uh, another one that is, I think, from the same year which is The King's Dilemma. And The King's Dilemma is, wow, it's a a legacy-style game with a lot of intrigue. It kind of Game of Thrones where uh, it's a co-op-petitive uh, type game to where uh, everybody is working for a 
the same goal. And ultimately you have to make a decision as a group. Some folks want certain things because you have hidden motives and it could even either be a single, um, like standalone, uh, single setting game, or it could be played with the same group legacy style. Okay. And while this isn't normally would something that would be my cup of tea, I, I've been intrigued by this game since I first heard about it. And I really, really want to play this. And again, this is another that when we were going to delve into uh, the pandemic hit. So just catching up with that. Sounds good. And the last one for me is the Capitals, a uh, city building game from Mercury Games back in 2013. And it's a punishing game. It is really, really hard And one of the things that I think turned a lot of people off of this game, and I think we talked about this on the podcast years ago, was that you start way, way in the negative in this game, and you're just trying to score positive by the end of the game. And I think a lot of players just psychologically don't like that. They want to acquire points instead of gaining points to get them out of a hole, even though functionally it's right. the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, it feels different. And I kind of like that, that they went in a tougher direction with that. Yeah, this one, I think I played this once. I remember playing it and not knowing all of the things I needed to do or knowing the best way to go about it uh, with somebody who had, again, more experience with the game. But I could see the potential there. I could see that, okay, I want to play this again. And see how that pans out. Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to play it again soon. I'd like to do that. So, yeah, the Capitals. Nice. So that's it for this week. Uh, Join us next week when we're going to sit down and delve into Kickstarters. And not, oh, what should you back? Ooh, what's the hottest Kickstarter? Oh, what's coming up? We're not going to be talking that. You know what? I don't want to tell folks. You do it. Well, yeah, this is something that I've always hesitated to talk about because I work on a lot of Kickstarters and I don't want to come across as somebody who's like, oh, this is a game I'm working on. So go buy it. Um, I feel like I only want to give a true and honest opinion about games always. So I've hesitated to kind of promote games that I'm working on personally or on the show. But a lot of y'all were asking for some discussion about what goes into these Kickstarters and maybe some discussion of prototypes that I have played that become Kickstarters. Uh, some of those are games I work on and some are not. So, And to talk, talk more of the process of what all goes into getting ready for a Kickstarter, running a Kickstarter, and what really matters to publishers as far as, you know, numbers wise, you oh. know. Fair. Yeah, uh, you're giving away the secrets now. No, I'm just saying. It's, <laughs> it's a teaser for next week. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, again, I'm Edward. I'm Jess. We'll catch you all next week. Check us out uh, on social media, Heavy Cardboard. I'm at Sir Felix Cat as well. And I'm at Board Game Girl, uh, Board Game underscore Girl One on Twitter. All right. We'll see you all next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.